0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the History of Africa. I'm your host, Andy. Last week, we left off with the death of Huni, the last of the Third Dynasty pharaohs. However, Egypt was in a stable enough state when he died that rule was able to pass on successfully to his son-in-law, Sneferu, when he couldn't produce a legitimate heir. This week, we'll see the Old Kingdom reach its absolute height, but we also see some of the warning signs of Egypt's inevitable fall from grace. Episode 8. The Old Kingdom's peak. When Sneferu took the throne in 2613 BC, he inherited an incredibly healthy economy and government. Beginning during the reign of Khasekhemwy and continuing throughout the reign of his successors, Egypt experienced an extended period of economic success during the Early Old Kingdom. As a result, pharaohs like Djoser, Djoser T, and Huni spent this wealth liberally, not just on their impressive tombs but also on extensive building projects like temples, shrines, irrigation canals, and military fortifications. Sneferu, however, would take this construction mania to a whole new level. Throughout his impressive 48-year reign, Sneferu would complete the construction of not one, but three pyramids. The first of these massive monuments was the Pyramid of Meidum. The Meidum Pyramid was one of the most unusual monuments from ancient Egypt, and one of the more mysterious monuments in terms of its construction. Egyptologists generally agree that the project was completed during the reign of Sneferu. However, the pyramid was not meant for Sneferu, and was instead dedicated to his father-in-law, Huni. This fact has led Egyptologists to be divided on when the construction of the pyramid began. Some believe that the construction of this pyramid began during the late years of Huni's reign over Egypt, and that Sneferu simply completed the already mostly finished project. Others, however, believe that Huni had already died by the time that the pyramid's construction had began, and that its construction was intended as a posthumous means to honor the old king. Regardless of who began construction, the Meidum pyramid was incredibly innovative in its design. The pyramid consisted of two pieces, an internal step pyramid design and an external limestone shell. This was the design of the most famous pyramids that we know today with no visible steps, and instead with smoothly upward-sloping sides. Now, as we learned last episode, this wasn't the first pyramid to incorporate this two-piece design. The Buried Pyramid of Joserte and the layer Pyramid of Huni each incorporated this design, but each of these pyramids were unfinished or collapsed soon after their construction. The Pyramid at Meidum was the first of these limestone-covered pyramids to stand the test of time, sort of. The pyramid stood tall as a successful monument to Huni throughout the majority of ancient Egyptian history. However, sometime around the 11th century BC, a millennium and a half after its construction, a problem started to occur. You see, while the internal pyramid structure was built on a solid surface, the edges of the limestone shell had been built on slightly softer, siltier land. The difference wasn't substantial at first, as the difference in ground texture was not that severe. However... The shell slowly slid into the surface over the centuries, collapsing at the bottom into a pile of rubble. Today, the pyramid is one of the most interesting structures from ancient Egypt that remains today. In the middle of the pyramid, there exists mostly still intact remains of the internal step pyramid structure, while a pile of shattered limestone sits around the base. This gives the remaining structure a picturesque appearance of a sort of grim tower, rising from the remains of the once grand pyramid. Pictures of this unique structure will be posted on the podcast blog if you would like to see the pyramid for yourself. So, why did the visual style of pyramids transition from the step design to the more famous slope design? The explanation is likely a change in ideology. You see, part of the symbolism of the step pyramids was its status as multiple mastabas tacked on top of each other. However, As Egypt's economy continued to develop into a more sophisticated system and the kingdom's labor force grew with the population, mastabas grew increasingly commonplace. While commoners still couldn't afford the resources required to build more mastabas, most nomarchs, important government officials, and royal family members had a personal mastaba at their gravesite. As mastabas became more common, their status as an icon of royal power faded. The imagery of stacked mastabas thus lost some of its luster. An alternative theory is that there was a shift in theological understanding among the Egyptian priestly class at this point. The step pyramids also held a symbolic significance of representing a stairway to the stars for the king to climb after his death. But a theological shift placed an increased importance on the sun instead of on the night sky. And new pyramids were designed to serve as a symbolic representation of the wellspring of life rather than as a set of heavenly stairs. Sneferu, since he took the throne, had one ambition on his mind. While his rule had never been challenged militarily, and nobody would dare say it in his presence, I'm sure that questions of his legitimacy ran rampant throughout the royal court and bureaucracy. I mean, this guy is claiming to be the god-king that speaks for Horus. But I heard he's just some nomarch who married the last guy's daughter. What's up with that? It seems that these questions really struck a nerve with Sneferu, even developing into something of a complex. He set out to construct the most impressive project in not just Egyptian, but human history to that point. This, more than anything else, would unquestionably demonstrate his divine power. Rather than just one pyramid, Sneferu would build two, and each of these would surpass all previous monuments in size and scale. The site at which these enormous pyramids would be constructed was marked to be at Dakhshur, a site just south of Saqqara. Construction began in 2600 BC as Sneferu hired swarms of artisans and laborers to begin work on the construction of these two grand pyramids. Yes, you heard that right. Hired. Contrary to popular belief, the pyramids were not built by slaves, but were instead built by well-compensated and respected artisans and laborers. In fact, the evidence for any general widespread practice of slavery in Old Kingdom Egypt is pretty sparse, and first accepted evidence for Egyptian slavery comes from the New Kingdom period, more than a thousand years later. However, while the labor force for the pyramids was assembled successfully, the construction process quickly ran into a major problem. Egypt lacked any major sources of timber, and thus a wood shortage quickly ground construction to a halt. Sneferu, wanting to resume work as soon as possible, launched a series of devastating raids past Elephantine and into Nubia, looting the abundant timber from the region. He also increased the exploitation of the copper mines in the Sinai, ensuring that the extraction of the metal and production of tools with it remained untouched, and raided the arid coast of Libya to the west for cattle to feed and clothe his army of laborers. Copper and cattle were transported by caravan across the desert, while massive barges carrying Nubian timber gently floated down the Nile. Once they arrived in Darfur, these materials were processed and distributed among the workers, fueling this enormous building project. In a sense, Sneferu had created the world's first true supply chain. It took decades, but by the end of Sneferu's reign, two massive pyramids at Dahshur were complete. Each towering at 105 meters of height, either of these monuments was large enough to tower over the largest buildings in the world at the time. Coated in a sleek polish of white limestone, They stood in the sands of Dakhshur as monuments to the unquestionable divine power of King Sneferu. Let's take a minute to look at each of these buildings a little more closely. The first of these pyramids is known as the Bent Pyramid, due to its unusual shape. The pyramid shape starts ascending at an unusually steep 54 degree angle, but then halfway up begins sloping at a gentler 44 degree angle instead. This gives the pyramid the unusual shape from which it derives its name. The debate as to why the pyramid was built in this unusual shape has transpired really since the creation of Egyptology as a field of study. Scholars believed for a long time that the sharp ascent of the pyramid's angle risked a collapse, and that the angle was lowered partway through the construction process to compensate. Others believed that the pyramid's angle was instead lowered because Sneferu died during the construction process, and that lowering the angle of ascent allowed the pyramid to be finished faster. However, recent research from the Journal for the History of Astronomy has made a compelling alternative claim. Rather than its unique shape deriving from an accident, this research argues that the Bent Pyramid was built with its inconsistent angles to align with the angle of a sunset during the winter solstice. Additionally, the Bent Pyramid is built to symbolize the conical crown of Upper Egypt, corresponding with the fact that it was the southernmost built monument of the pair. Sneferu's other pyramid built at Dahshur is known as the Red Pyramid, due to its unusually red limestone used in the construction of its core. The pyramid ascends at a 44 degree angle, except for at the very tip. The tip featured a pyramidion or a capstone that would cover the tip of the pyramid, that descended at a 45 degree angle. This piece of architectural symmetry between the pyramids further compels the theory that the bent pyramid's unusual shape was intentional, meant to be an opposite reflection of the Red Pyramid. The Red Pyramid was meant to represent the Red Crown of Lower Egypt, and was thus positioned in the north. Sneferu, after decades spent organizing the construction of this magnificent tomb to secure his symbolic legitimacy, died after 48 years of rule. Apparently, this project was a success, as his eldest son Khufu ascended to the throne upon his father's death. Khufu is most well known for one thing, really, the construction of the Great Pyramid of Giza. This astronomically large monument surpassed all other man-made structures on Earth in terms of size and volume, and would even remain the tallest structure in the world ever built until, get this, 1311 AD, when the Lincoln Cathedral in England just barely surpassed its height. Regardless, you already know about the Great Pyramid, because who doesn't, so I don't feel the need to discuss it any further. Just know that this is the peak in the scale of Egyptian monument building, and that Khufu's pyramid remains the largest Egyptian pyramid ever built. What is less well-known about is Khufu's reign beyond his Magnificent Monument, with the closest source we have to go off being Manetho's statement that Khufu quote, earned the contempt of the gods, unquote, whatever that means. Maybe this indicates a famine or especially bad natural disaster during his reign, but nobody really knows. One of the few political events that we have any knowledge of is that apparently his predecessor's mine in the Sinai began to slow their yields during Khufu's reign, and he ordered a new expedition to uncover new mines, which they did. Apparently, he also invested heavily in the creation of a series of Egyptian maritime settlements on the Red Sea. Other than that, the man's life is an enigma. He died after a reign of 23 years. Khufu was succeeded by his son, Jedifrey. Jedifre, like his father, is largely a mystery. He ruled for only 11 years and as a result, opted for a strategy of quality over quantity in terms of the construction of his tomb. While it was small, far smaller than even the old Pyramid of Djoser, it was composed of incredibly beautiful materials, such as imported granite rather than the usual limestone, and featured an oversized and likely ornately decorated Pyramidian at its summit. Due to his early death, Jennifer left no heir to the throne. Instead, the throne was passed to his brother, Khafra, Khafre's position in the historical records is incredibly similar to that of his father. He's known primarily for the construction of the second largest pyramid at Giza, and the famous statue of the Sphinx that you always see in Egyptian travel guides. What the appearance of such a mythological creature means is puzzling. This statue is the first ever depiction of a Sphinx in art or writing, and so what exactly it was meant to represent is something of a mystery. The Sphinx was a common creature throughout eastern Mediterranean mythology, most likely originating in pre-dynastic Egypt. The mainstream conception of the Sphinx as a creature of riddles and mystery that pervades the pop culture of the West is derived primarily from Greek myth rather than from Egypt. Some Egyptologists speculate that the Sphinx was somehow related to Egypt's cult of the sun that was growing in popularity during this era of the Old Kingdom, or that perhaps it was meant to serve as a guardian of the pharaohs after their death. Even the face of the Sphinx itself remains something of a mystery. While most scholars believe that the face of the Sphinx represents Khafre himself, a few heretics within the field claim that it was, in fact, added long after Khafre's death, and depicts a later pharaoh. Khafre's son, Menkare, ascended to the throne after his father's death. If you're sensing a trend, little is known about his reign beyond the monuments he built. The most well-known of these monuments is his pyramid, the smallest of the main pyramids at the complex of Giza. One of the few things known about Mankare's rule is that he was a generous patron of the arts, sponsoring some of the most impressive statues and busts yet made by humanity. These statues, carved of black sandstone, depict an idealized portrait of Mankare and his wife, each embodying the ideal male and female forms from the Egyptian perspective. Other similarly styled statues show him flanked by the goddesses Hathor and Bat, two of the most important fertility goddesses from this period. These statues show the way that the pharaoh wanted to depict himself, as an intermediary between the mortal and heavenly worlds, a line of communication between gods and man. Menkare died after just 11 years on the throne. Due to his short reign, Menkare's pyramid was unfinished when he vacated the throne. Therefore, the responsibility to finish his tomb fell on his son, Shepseskaf. Shepseskaf enjoyed only a four-year rule, incredibly short by the standards of Egyptian pharaohs and spent most of his time arduously trying to complete his father's pyramid. As a result, he had no time to focus on his own tomb, and was instead buried at a Mastaba in Saqqara, in what was likely an unwanted return to tradition. Mankare had no legitimate children from his first wife, and so after his death in 2506 BC, rule passed to his illegitimate son, Userkaf, marking the end of Egypt's fourth dynasty. So, before I sign off this week, I want to reflect a little. I mean, what was the point of this episode? Was it just listing off pyramids and names? Well, unfortunately, due to the poor records of the time, this is really all we have to go off. I worry that this episode will end up looking like the Book of Numbers in podcast form. You know, Sneferu begat Khufu, Khufu begat Jedifre, etc. etc. However, I do feel like there are some key takeaways from this episode that can aid our understanding of Egyptian history. In terms of the absolute wealth and power of the pharaohs, the 4th dynasty period would unquestionably be the apex until at least the new kingdom, a millennium later. Nothing in later periods would even come close to the size and splendor of the 4th dynasty, indicating that, most likely, later pharaohs simply didn't command enough resources to take on such immense projects. However, you may have noticed a slightly troubling trend while I was talking about the pharaohs. We started with Sneferu, who commanded enough resources to build not one, but three impressive pyramids. Then Khufu, who built one especially massive and impressive pyramid. And then eventually followed by increasingly small, underwhelming structures throughout the rest of the dynasty's reign. So, what was going on that caused this trend? I suspect that Egypt's economy slowly declined during the back half of the fourth dynasty, not quickly or suddenly enough for anyone to notice, but rather very gradually. There was never a moment in which this crisis culminated, but every year, Egypt's available labor force would slightly shrink, the productivity would decrease, and the capability to build massive monuments would decline with it. My personal suspicion is that years of spending exorbitant amounts of resources on massive pyramids was starting to take its toll on the Egyptian economy. Each laborer being used on a projection of pharaonic power was not being used on irrigation projects ports, or mining infrastructure that would better serve Egypt in the long term of material development. This lack of investment didn't have any immediate consequences, but over time, the old eroding irrigation system started to cause trouble for the Egyptian economy. As crop yields slowly became less impressive, more laborers had to dedicate time to feeding their family instead of working on massive state monuments. Egypt was certainly still in a state of prosperity, but warning signs were beginning to appear that this prosperity was not to last. Join us next week to see Egypt's Golden Age continue, but for how much longer? Thank you for listening to the History of Africa podcast. If you like the show and the free education we provide, then I'd encourage you to support the show. This can be done by a monetary donation to our Patreon which can be found on our website, historyofafricapodcast.blogspot.com. By giving the show a review on iTunes, or by sharing the podcast to anyone who you think might be interested.